And then remember, we're going to worship at the end today, okay? So you don't have to run off and get to your chicken in the, in the oven. It'll be all right if you've got a roast chicken in the oven. You don't have to run home. Today is about Jesus, and we're just going to spend time with him today, amen? So we're starting this entirely new series. We've just come through the, the God series, God Is, and we learned many, many great things about God. And, and I would hope and pray that it would instill a fear of God in us that would draw us to run to him and tremble in his presence. But you see, we're going to go into this new series leading into Easter called Simply Jesus. It's simply, maybe we should have t- called it Simply Jesus, I don't know, but simply put, is one name that is greater than every name that can be named, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going into this new season, uh, a new period of life where uh, we're believing, and this is as uh, Pastor Jamie wrote in your newsletter last week, understanding the reason for the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ empowers the church to live as our Lord commands. Everyone say with me, Lord commands. You know, Jesus is your Lord. There's a shift that needs to take place. And uh, Pastor John touched on this with our leaders yesterday and was such a timely word. It's something that's so new and so fresh in my heart and has been with me my entire journey with Christ. And the moment that I stood in driver that time with my wife, actually we knelt before God with tears upon our eyes and we'd given over our entire life to Jesus. That very moment was the moment that Jesus seated in my heart that there is a difference between Jesus my Savior and Jesus my Lord. There is a significant difference. And we all as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as sons and daughters of God, need to understand That it's one thing to celebrate the salvation of Jesus. And we do so every time we meet together where we have communion. It's one thing to celebrate what Jesus means to me. It's one thing to celebrate that Jesus died for me. It's another thing to say, well, Jesus, you're my Lord. And I have that message to give to someone else. You see, that's the difference. And God's not about making, uh, in the sense, people who believe he's Interested in making disciples, followers of Jesus, people sold out completely for him. So we've got to understand that through these four messages of death, of life, death, burial, resurrection, and through the Easter series, we've got to understand it's actually about living empowered in the commands of God. You understand this. It's the large statement, this, and there are sort of three or four pivotal points about Jesus that are Uh, vital to our faith faith it's essential uh, if we're to approach God his life death burial and resurrection are all foundational to the gospel message the second point is around this statement uh, for someone or for some we have all been followers of Jesus for a long time and we love the message of his triumph and we love the message of the cross but sometimes we become so numb to the truths found in these essential foundations of faith, life, death, burial, resurrection. We often miss it because we hear it every year. We hear it through communion. We hear it and remind and we become numb to the very sense that this is pivotal and foundational to our hope and our faith. Sometimes we need to actually switch 
from our hard hearts and allow God in to soften. And that's the joy of worship. When we worship God, he, he softens and he penetrates our hearts. And it's okay, you know, to raise your hands in worship, isn't it? When, God, when God's penetrating you in a way that, that he's just breaking through the hardness of our calloused humanity and we just raise our hands and it's okay to weep in his presence. And it's okay to sing for joy and it's okay to dance and it's okay to kneel. It, however we express ourselves in worship to God is this expression that my heart is open and soft to you. And then there are these words that we are empowered to live as our Lord commands. We must come to terms whether we are new believers, long-term followers or inquirers here today of Jesus. That the truth is that he is our Lord and our Lord has the right to command. As his church, we must come together in faith and accomplish the greatest commandment, which is to go into all the world and to preach the good news to every creature. So today, I hope we've prayed and ready to hear if God has blown us white hot into his presence, then is our hearts softened to hear of what God wants to say. Our reading for today, you can open your Bibles. I don't have it up there because it's fairly long. Our reading is Mark chapter 14, verse 26 to 42. And uh, I'm not even going to wait for you to get into it. I'm just going to go straight into it. Mark 26, uh, 14, 26 begins. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though... They all fall away. I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Jesus, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. Everyone say Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you, what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words, and again he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Is it enough the hour? Uh, sorry, then he stops and he pauses and says, It is enough. The hour has come. 
the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. What an interesting story. And leading into this time of Easter, it's always one that I love to reflect on is Jesus in Gethsemane. It's one where I love to just look at his response and, and I look at it through the different accounts in the Gospels and this one particularly stands out to me uh, as Mark himself is writing this. And, um, but we believe, um, we believe and many scholars believe uh, that have investigated this that, that Mark was writing the actual account of Peter. So this is a first-hand account. Mark's, a go- Mark's gospel of this is actually a first-hand account because he's scribing what Peter is relaying. So Peter was one of those three that was with Jesus as he was praying. So I think Peter gets a pretty good understanding of what is actually being said and actually being done. And I really enjoy this account because it helps me to reflect on the humanity of Jesus. It helps me reflect on the life of Jesus. It helps me reflect because how many times do we go out there and we say, Jesus, I can't do that. Take this cup from me. Let the hour pass is the words he used. But we say the same things when God asks us to do something. We we come to this place and we say, God, I can't do that. And for whatever reason, and, and let me say most of the time for every reason is that we want to save face. What if my friends look at me differently? What if I lose my friend What if they laugh at me? We we tend to want to save face. But you see, Jesus, he didn't want to save face. He wanted to actually save his life. He wanted to save himself from, in his humanity, he wanted to save himself from that very point where he had to suffer before he died. He says, so take this cup from me. Let this hour pass from me, Father. And he didn't just use Father. He called him Daddy. He said, Abba, Father, take this from me. Could you imagine the strings being pulled on God's heart as his son cried out to him, Abba, Abba. You know, when God's crying, when you're crying out to God and you're going, Abba, Abba, help me. He jumps to your defense at most times, but there are times where sometimes there is a cup that is made for you and it's only a cup that you can drink. You see, you've all got purpose in Jesus. Every one of you, God has got a cup that only you can drink from. And God's not going to deliver you from that cup, no matter how hard it is. So we've actually got to stop falling to our knees and saying, Abba, take this from me. We've actually got to stand up and say in this one instance, this one cup, the very thing that you're called to do, we've actually got to say, not my will, but yours be done. No matter what we've got to walk through to get there, no matter what we've got to do in our lives, we've actually got to say, not my will, because you're my Lord. So we see in this story, it's, it's, it's an amazing, amazing story. But I have this to understand about Jesus. It's, it's the life that we can't really look at Jesus and his life. We can't really look at it, the entire gamut of his life. We can't go from his birth to his death to his resurrection. It would be impossible to be able to talk of Jesus in 20 or 30 minutes or even 40 minutes if Pastor John, if those of you who were here last night, sometimes he talks for two and a half hours in India. And he's like, sometimes I talk for 35 minutes and everyone looks at me and they're like, oh, astounded. And I'm like, wow. Imagine that. Imagine coming home to church, you're expecting to be there for two and a half hours and he talks for 35 minutes. What do you do? But you see, I can't talk about Jesus enough or long enough. 
to help you understand his life. So we've got to narrow this down to this one story, this one lead up to this passion of Christ. But what is it about his life in the lead up to his death that stands out? What is it about the life of Jesus? What can we learn from our great commander that will give us understanding as we move in faith toward our purposes of seeing the kingdom of God established in and through us? Within our reading, what we see is a focal point. A moment where Jesus reveals his humanity and the choice that he had become, uh, that he had to make because of his human free will. Let me just speak freely about Jesus for a minute. We see that Jesus, in the time that he's in Gethsemane, he is in the prime of his life. 33 years old. I remember when I was 33, it was only five years ago. It wasn't that long ago for me. Some of you, it might be just a little bit longer. Some of you guys are looking to get there to 33 and you think, wow, I'm going to be depressed when I'm 33. No, 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 no. Let me tell you, it's the prime of your life. Jesus was in the prime of his life. Something else about this story about Jesus is that uh, he was also in the very prime of his ministry. He'd, he'd, He'd seen so many amazing things. He'd been followed by so many multitudes. And then he shares this word about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And those who were just tagging along for the ride, they fell away. That to me is like, I've got a really good church now. Those who are sold out and committed into following me. He's in the prime of his ministry. He could have stayed, he couldn't, but if you think about it, the prime of his ministry, he could have had an amazing church that would have impacted the entire world. But he knew that he had to do it through the cross. He knew he had to do it through the cross. And thank God that he, that he himself, Jesus, is the head of the church universal throughout the, the entire planet. And he is now outworking his will through individual churches as he's the head of this church. Okay, does that make sense? Like he's in the prime of his ministry, but he had to let it all go so that God could fulfill the completeness of what he had as this grand plan. He saw real results in ministry. He was achieving everything that the Father had asked of him. He didn't fail. But in the midst of great persecutions and betrayal from one of his dearest friends, he's in a circle. Twelve followers, disciples are named within the book. And you see one of them betrayed him. Another lesson there, I'm not going to chase that rabbit hole for you today. But even the rejection of his own family. So from the heights of ministry, right the way through to rejection and betrayal, Jesus is still in the prime of everything in his life. The humanity of his life was there. But in, in the midst of all this, in the midst of his humanity, in the midst of dealing with fame and popularity and the pull of mercy to help every person that he saw. Could you imagine being the son of God? Hang on. We are the sons of God. But could you imagine this from Jesus' perspective, walking past a sick person and not actually reaching out to help them? But the truth is, that's who we are. That's If Jesus would walk past blind Bartimaeus, we wouldn't have that story today. A blind man walking around, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus has mercy on him and gives him his sight. 
And we as little Jesuses to this world have the ability to do so through faith in the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus accomplished for us. So in the midst of this pull of mercy to help, in the midst of his emotions and running, uh, which are running rife here in this garden, we see that Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. He sets his face toward the place of the skull. He knows that he's going to go to that cross and he knows he's going to die. In the midst of all of this, in his humanity, he says, no, I'm going to do what my father asks of me. So what is it about Jesus' life that he was able to overcome all of these human experiences to fulfill his purpose? Now, don't be, don't be confused. We are human, empowered, though, by the Spirit of God. Everyone who professes Jesus as Lord and Savior is sealed with the Holy Spirit of power. The same, Jesus, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives now within you. The same challenges that Jesus went through are your challenges today. So if you want to learn lessons about the life of Jesus, it's not enough to just go, well done. That's a wonderful lesson to learn. It's not enough to say, thank you, Jesus. To thank Jesus is to actually apply what Jesus is teaching us to do. So what is it about his life that, that he was able to overcome all these human experiences to fulfill the very purpose of God? What is it about it? What are the breakthrough lessons that we can learn of him so that we can break through into who Jesus has called us to be? You see, when we talk about breakthrough, we're not talking about the only thing breaking through in your life so that you are financially sustainable or that you have your breakthrough and find your marriage partner or that you have your breakthrough. They are all well and good and promises of God. But what I'm talking about breakthrough and the lessons of Jesus' life, what I'm talking about is as a church in unity, we would grasp that this is who we as the body of Christ are meant to be so that we can see our city and our nation and our world transformed into the likeness of Christ. Okay, so we've got to take this into the full context here. What is it about breakthrough that Jesus wants us to learn as his church? Let me say three points really quickly for us. Jesus was intimate with God. You want to know how to, how to let go of the humanity, let go of the temptation, let go of the flesh, let go of your own selfish will? This is one key point. You become intimate with the Father. You seek after Him with your entire being. Jesus did this as He prayed and worshipped. His entire life was devoted to this. With story after story of Jesus as He, go, as he, as he rises early in the morning to pray. In the crowds, He withdraws to pray. You know that Jesus was a very good Jew, which meant that He went Every Saturday, he went and he spent time in their, what are they called again? It's just escaped me. I'm thinking synagogue. Thank you. Every Saturday. He was a Jewish rabbi. He could teach. He could walk into any, any, um, any place and he could open a scroll and read it and teach. He was, he was able to do this. And you see within it, it is worship. See, worship's not just about singing, is it? 
Worship's not just about the music. And you'll, you'll see when I write things, you'll see when you hear me, when I talk about the worship that happens from this stage, I will often refer to it as the worship in song. Because it's one expression of worship. Another expression of worship is to lay your life down completely for God. Another expression of worship is to feed the hungry. Another expression of worship is to help the, those who need aid or to help those who are sick, to take in a stranger and to have them in your house. That's an expression of worship. And you see, Jesus was very good at doing these things. He, his whole life was about prayer and worship. And he even says in one place, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. He was so intimate with God, even though he was the son. We got to draw this line in the sand. Jesus was the son of God, but he was empty of the fullness of God. He left that entirely in heaven until the dove through the Holy Spirit came and descended upon him. Jesus was a man walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, just as you are a man or a woman who can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything Jesus did, he did from what he heard the Father say or he saw the Father do. And he did so in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the power of God that he was. He left his divinity or the power of his divinity in heaven. And he did it as a man subject to the Holy Spirit in faith. He did it in relationship with God. He did it through intimacy with the Holy Spirit. We've got to understand that or else we might as well all pack up and just go home. Does that make sense? Because if God wants us to do the things that he did and Jesus said, greater things than this will you do, greater things than I, how do we do that if we're doing it in our own humanity? Impossible. We do that the same way he did, empowered by the very spirit of resurrection who has sealed us into his life. I better move on. Jesus' entire ministry was built on the back of intimacy with God, our Father. He was devoted to gathering before God and seeking His face. If Jesus' life reveals anything to us, it is that He could, do any, could not do anything without the Father. Even Gethsemane, He falls to His knees, not my will, but your will be done. In His humanity, He wanted to run. But in his spirituality, in Christ, in the Holy Spirit in his life, he subject himself to his Father and he said, your will be done. That's what intimacy does to us. It brings us to this place where we say, it's not about me, it's about you. John five nineteen to 20, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son, uh, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. And that's our portion. I'll let that one sink in for a bit, eh? It was from this intimacy that Jesus knew what to say, what to do, and how to move in the power 
of the Holy Spirit. Jesus healed the sick. He raised the dead. He forgave sins. He fed the multitudes. He turned water into wine, walked on water, uh, calmed the seas, the winds and the waves, uh, and all sorts of things that were not even documented. But he also moved in the words of knowledge. Anyone ever gone on a hunt through the Bible looking for words of knowledge? Yeah? It's a pretty good thing to do. Mark chapter 14 and verse 13. And Jesus, uh, sorry, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with the disciples? That's a word of knowledge. Go find the man carrying the water jar and tell him the master needs a room. What did that man do? He responded in kind. Let him go up into the upper room. Okay? Some scholars believe that was Mark. Interesting, isn't it? Mark 14.30, another one. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Word of knowledge. Yeah? If Jesus can do it, you can do it. You ever ask God to show you someone that you can share the gospel to? You ever ask for a word of knowledge? It's interesting. So people give stories all the time. Number plates. Um, someone with a cast on their arm. Someone with, like, like, people are asking God to show them crazy, ridiculous things because they're seeing that the Holy Spirit is faithful because he's pursuing that person's heart. You ever driven down the road and said, God, where should I go? And you hear the words, or you, you hear within yourself. It's not you hear them in your ears. You, you sense the words turn right and you turn right and you find someone that needs help. Isn't God truly amazing? Like, this is how the Spirit of God works in our life. The same way that He worked in Jesus through intimacy. Through intimacy, prayer and worship, we are sons of God, empowered by the Spirit and can do the same things too. Did Jesus not say, truly, truly, I say to you in John 14, 12? What does he say? Do you want to read it back to me? I think we should read this back to me, yeah? All in one voice. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also... Hmm. We can get all theological about that and say, well, the greatest thing is to lead someone to Christ... It's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. Greater works than what I do, you will do. Amen? As the church collective, we've got to start believing this. The second thing, if, if it was about worship, the second point really is Jesus' life was full of purpose. Jesus was determined. Everyone say determined. Determined. It's a good word, isn't it? His life was full of purpose. In the midst of all his betrayal, Jesus continued to pursue the purposes of God. When Judas betrayed him, he stayed the cause. Who's ever felt betrayed before? Has that derailed your faith for a time? Think about it. Some of us are even carrying that betrayal today. And we're sitting in church because we've been betrayed and we've been rendered ineffective for the gospel. And I believe that the story of Jesus will actually, will actually break this off of our lives so that we don't operate out of betrayal anymore, but we can operate out of the freedom. We can forgive that person who betrayed us and we can move into the fullness. Jesus had to forgive Judas. 
I'm sorry, he had to. Judas even dipped the bread in the cup at the same time as him and he pointed him out that he was the one that was going to betray him. Jesus had to forgive him as a person or else he would not have walked to the cross. It's a powerful thing, betrayal. And the devil will use betrayal in your life to render you ineffective for the gospel. Amen? So start thinking about that. Has someone betrayed me? Has it derailed my faith? And I'm not talking about my love for Jesus. What I'm talking about is the action of faith. I'm talking about where your engagement of your life renders God and helps, uh, sorry, affects the purposes of God and helps someone else in their life. Don't be derailed by betrayal. Like if someone's hurt you before and you've come to the, I just sense God's on this one at the moment. So you've, Open your heart to this. If someone has betrayed you, what usually happens is you feel like you don't want to talk to them, uh, them or other people. Is that right? Betrayal? You can't trust someone again? That's the lie of the enemy right there. Because our faith isn't affected by whether someone tr- we trust someone or not. Our faith should be affected by whether we trust Jesus or not. Stop putting our hopes in other people and put them into Jesus. Yeah, it'll lift your spirits and you'll start to see that God wants to do something through you. So Jesus was determined. Jesus set his face even in the midst of betrayal to die a horrific death on the cross. You ever had doubts? Have you ever questioned God? Yeah, you're human, yeah, honestly. You've ever had doubts? Have you ever questioned God? Take courage in the knowledge that Jesus too did the same thing. From our reading today that we see that Jesus was in the garden under immense stress, immense pain and anguish. Another gospel account tells us that Jesus himself sweated drops of blood. Mm, That is utter stress. It's interesting, you know, we use this verse, the peace that uh, overcomes all understanding or surpasses all understanding. Um, Jesus had the same Holy Spirit and in immense trial, in his humanity, he had immense stress. The issue is not whether or not we have stress. The issue is not whether or not something bad is happening in or through into our lives. That's not the issue. The issue is how we're going to choose to respond to that. Are we going to worry about that? Or are we actually going to trust that God has a better plan and purpose? See, worry will add nothing to your life. It actually pulls you to the place of fear and fear will erode your faith. The moment you worry something is the moment that you've turned away from God and had faith just in yourself. And think about it, I can't do anything in myself. So Jesus, in his worry, not worry, but in his immense pain and stress, because it would have been stressful, he chose to say, not my cup, but your, not my will, but your will be done. I'll take your cup over mine. It's interesting, isn't it? When you break it down and you think about it from a human perspective, we've got to look at this as a human perspective because we're learning about the life of Jesus. A life lived on purpose always finds the answer to every trial and temptation. A life lived on purpose always finds the answer to every trial and every temptation. 
If you're not finding an answer to your trials or temptations, maybe you haven't stepped into your purpose. I'll say it that way. Maybe you're going around and around the same temptations and the same trials because you're not yet trusting Jesus the way he trusted his father. That's a challenge for some of us, isn't it? We need to make one-time decisions. To live the life like Jesus, we must set our heart aflame with determination. Uh, We are in a war and those who dig deep into the well of determination always overcome. The story you can go back and have a look at is uh, Caleb and uh, how he was um, able to take Hebron as his inheritance. Okay, Uh, Make a one-time decision today. One-time decision. God, no matter what comes my way, I'm not going to fear because I know that you will have an answer. I know that every opportunity that comes my way is an opportunity to upgrade because with every, tra- with every temptation, with every trial, with every challenge that comes my way is a gift of grace that will help me to overcome. Instead of looking at the situation, why don't we start looking at God for the gift of grace that he's supplying in the midst of it because he's trying to cause you to upgrade. Amen? Think about that. It's an upgrade he has for you today. So are we unwavering in our intentions and purposes and are we living completely sold out for Jesus? And my last one is this, lastly, Jesus was obedient. Put it up there for you. Jesus was obedient. So we've had Jesus who lived the life of prayer and worship. Jesus lived a life on purpose. And the last thing was Jesus was obedient. You want to learn the life of the humanity of Jesus Christ. These are the three things that really stick out of me from that reading. He lived a life full of worship and prayer. He lived a life on purpose for God and he lived completely sold out and was obedient right to the end. That's the life of Jesus Christ right there. Jesus willfully submitted to the purposes of God. In every situation, not just in the cross, he submitted to baptism in Luke chapter 3. He, he, goes to the, he goes out to John in the, in the, in the, down to the River Jordan and he says, baptize me. That was a submission to what God told him to do. And in obedience. See, we, think we, we in the West, we take this word obedience and we think it's a bad word. But to actually obey is really, really, really crucial to our growth as Christians. When we think about this, in the submission of Jesus into the waters of baptism, he rose up. It was there he received the commendation of the Father. It was there he received the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the peace of God to rest upon him. It was there that he responded in obedience again to go out into the desert. Obedience was the key to Jesus' life. It was the key to seeing him live on purpose. It was the key of seeing him move into the fullness of what God had for him. Some of us are waiting for peace as an answer before we move. I'm going to pray about this. And if God gives me a peace, then I'm going to do it. Did Jesus not command us to go into all the world? Did Jesus not command us to go into all the world? Did Jesus not command us to go into all the world? When there is a command from God, we don't need to stop and pray and wait for a peace from God to say yes. 
when there is a command from God, what actually we need to do is obey. And when we step out in faith, in step out in obedience, guess what happens? His peace comes. Some of you are waiting for a peace of God and you're actually disobeying him. God's not going to give you a peace if you're disobeying, disobeying him, is he? When he gives a command, choose to make the one-time decision again. Step out in faith and let me tell you, the peace of God will come. You choose to step out in faith, the power of God will come. You're waiting to have this miracle of God come on your life so that you can go and do these miracles. You're waiting for the gift of healing to come on your life so you can go and heal the sick. How about you just trust God at his word and says that um, you will lay hands on the sick and they shall get well. Amen? You see, you're waiting for peace. I'm waiting for peace. God, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to pray about... How come I'm not getting peace, God? Well, maybe you don't want me to do that. Okay, I'm not going to do it. And I'm just going to sit here on my laurels all day long, right here, and wonder why God doesn't want to use me. You You ever said that? I've said that. God, why don't you want to use me? Why don't you want to use me, God? Why don't you want to use me, God? Why, God? All the while I'm deflecting the responsibility onto God when he's asked me to obey, when he's asked me to step out in faith. You want the peace of God in your life that surpasses all understanding? That's the key to it. Jesus said his mind, he said his face, he said his entire body to the cross. And as he went to the cross, don't you think the peace of God that was upon him as the dove when he went to the baptism was upon him in that place? In the midst of God's will, in the midst of what God brought him to, do you think God would leave him in that moment of when he desperately needed? The only time God turned his back on Jesus was when your sin came upon him. The only time God turned his back on his son was when your sin and my sin filled him completely because God could not look upon the sin of man upon his son. So you tell me Jesus went through that trial without peace and I'd laugh. You see, Jesus obeyed and the peace of God led him through that place even though he was whipped and beaten and flogged for you. You see, it was his humanity that was tested and he came through because he was obedient. You want the peace of God in your life? There's no safer place in the center of his will. Whether that's in the middle of Syria or right here in the high schools of Griffith. No matter where God's called you to be. No matter what God's put you into. No matter where God wants you to be. If you step out in faith. And it's simple. Today, God, I'm your vessel. Today, Lord God, if someone is sick in my, in my workplace, I'm going to pray for them. Don't sit back and go, go, God, 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 um, give me the courage to do this. No, no, I made the one-time decision and my best friend's sick. I'm going to go over. Can I lay my hands on you? And I believe you're going to recover. That's the difference. And right there and then the Holy Spirit's going to meet you with power. And your sick friend's going to become well. Learn to obey the voice of Jesus. Learn to obey his spirit. I think I need to conclude there. Three points Jesus says to us, teaches us from this lesson. Three things the life of Jesus stands out to me in this season that we're in as a church. And maybe you'd bow your heads with me right now. Jesus 
was intimate with his father. Do you desire to be intimate with God? Jesus lived a life completely on purpose. And Jesus said yes to everything his father asked of him. You see, I'm not. The danger of what I've just said is that we can all take this and we can think through it and we say, all Pastor Steve's telling me to do is to worship God, live a life on purpose, and just do what Jesus did. Well, that's simply what I'm saying. The miracle of the gospel is this God doesn't leave you on your own to do it. God does not leave you on your own to do it. His promise is to send another comforter. His name is the Holy Spirit, the great paraclete. He is the one who is with you, leading you, guiding you, empowering you, not just to obey God, but to see the purposes of God outworked through you. I invite our band to come back. This is why I wanted to worship more today. Because worship helps to seal in our lives the very truths of God. When we stand before God and our arms are raised wide and we worship Him for His worth. Not for what He's done, but because of He is worthy of his, our worship. When we stand before Jesus, we stand and it opens our spiritual ears to hear Him. And it softens our heart to respond with obedience. Understanding the reason for the life, death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ empowers the church to live as our Lord commands. I draw a lot of encouragement from this story this week. Can we just get rid of that ring? Thanks, guys. I'm going to invite you to stand to your seat, uh, from your seat. Stand to your feet with me. There's a story here that's really speaking to my heart. I want to read it from the Word to you today. And I want you to have an open heart to see what this lady did. Because I believe it is the heart of this woman that teaches us how we come before our God. No matter what we've done, no matter where we're at, no matter what fear we may have been living in, no matter what sin we may have been done, the moment you turn to Jesus is the moment that His blood cleanses you from all sin. That's a one-time thing. God is faithful and just to forgive you of every sin. Amen? Past, present and future. We have to make the decision to live free of that sin. This woman, they believe it was Mary Magdalene, Mary of Bethany. This woman, she was like a call girl. Nicest way to say it. And Jesus set her free of sin. And her response before Jesus would walk to the cross, it smashes my heart for him every time. I read it. And today, 
Let me read this for you. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, Interesting that Jesus is in the presence of someone who was known as the sick man. Let me tell you, that man didn't stay a leper for long in Jesus' presence. But they knew him as Simon the leper, so that's what they called him. As he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment and pure nard, of pure nard. Very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? Today, some of you are even saying in your heart, why are we going over time? You're saying indignantly, I have to go home. You're saying, what is Steve going on about? You're saying it in your heart, but that's not who you are. Who you are is the Son of God. Who you are... You should stand up to that devil and rebuke him in the name of Jesus and tell him to rack off and leave you alone. Because either you're in this or you're out. If you're out, you know where the door is. It's fine. Because I'm in this and I'm in this all the way. Jesus is sitting at the table and he hears their indignancy. My offering is not going to be wasted today. For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. Sometimes the devil sneaks into you with a really good thought. A really good thought. What could I have done with that money? Yeah, that's a really good thought, isn't it? I could have helped the poor. I could have bought. 300 bags of rice. Wow. The voice of the devil needs to be booted out of your lives. The only way you can do that is responding to Jesus the way he responds to his father. It says they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good to them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Right here I see at the T intersection of your life. This is a very moment in your life. You'll either choose to scold. You'll either choose to partner with the enemy or you will choose right here something that will have an eternal effect. Because as you worship God, there is an eternal effect. There is an eternal effect as you choose to say yes to Jesus Christ. And when you come to Him in obedience and you put your life on purpose for Him and you set your heart and you set your mind and you set your face to pursue God with your entire being. There's something about that that has eternal effect and those around you will want what you want. Those around you will come to Jesus Christ. The only thing I have to give is everything that He has given me. 
The only thing you have to give is your very person. This woman, she broke the alabaster vase over the head of Jesus today. As we sing a song, let the heart rise with a new song today. You know, it is believed that it was only hours after this that Jesus entered into Jerusalem. It was hours after this that Jesus was captured in that Garden of Gethsemane. It was hours after this. Jesus did not even have time to have a bath. And what this woman did was pour this fragrant oil over her Savior to prepare Him for His burial because she was the only one that listened to what He said. He said, I'm not going to be with you for long. She was the only one that would respond. Today I see a church that's not the only one that wants to respond. Today I see a church that want to pour out their heart like an alabaster flask and give their entire lives to the Savior to make Him known. Jesus, as you went to the cross, you smelt the fragrant oil of that woman's sacrifice and you knew you were doing it for her. You knew that if you did not go to the cross, if you did not bear upon yourself the affliction that was upon you, the very punishment that was destined for you, that she would not be forgiven of her sin and that she would not spend an eternity with you. Jesus, you thought of us. You thought of us and you died to yourself. Lord, I pray right now that we would die to ourselves as we think of you. Jesus, we worship you. Jesus, in this house, we want to fill this house. Lord God, we want to break the alabaster vases of our very lives over you right now. We come as we worship you today, Jesus. We thank you for your life, that it was an example. As you were filled with the Holy Spirit, fill us afresh today to live a life on purpose for you. Jesus, let us be sold out to you today. An offering poured out before you in worship. Jesus, say with me, Jesus. Jesus.